0: Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Let's stay standing as we read God's Word together in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 34. Um, If you're using one of those Bibles in the seats in front of you, which again we highly encourage... Um, not, not even only just on your devices, your electronic device, but, but your actual copy of a Bible. So if you don't have one, page 811, I'm in those Bibles in front of you. Let's
1: start in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Sorry, I think I read that twice. No, where, it, just,
0: it just sounds the same.
1: Okay. No. <laughs> For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God, amen. You can have a seat. Thanks for, thanks for standing and reading. Um, we're just gonna jump right into this. You may be thinking, how in the world are we gonna cover all of that today? But I promise you, we will. Um, I don't promise you what time we'll be done, but I promise you we'll cover it. So, um, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to digging into this together. Um, and, and as we do, there's a, there's a story that, that I'm reminded of um, as, as I read this text, um, about a, about a man named Jim Elliott. Um, Jim Elliott was, was part of a team of, of five men um, who sought out to reach with the gospel a, a tribe of unreached people called the Harani people in Ecuador in the 1950s. Um, long story short, Jim Elliott, along with the other four men, um, they were killed by this tribe with spear. Um, and their bodies left in a river tied to canoes um, and that's the end of the story. Um, that's not the end of the story, is it? Those of you who know the, who know the story, um, you know that their uh, efforts were not in vain uh, because if you know the story, um, not, not, but decades later, one of the, the main tribesmen who, who was part of the murder of these five men um, came to know Christ. Um, and in fact... I wish I could remember his name. I should have done a little bit more research. Baptized the daughter of Jim Elliot. <laughs> Amazing, huh? Elliot, Jim Elliot and his team, knowing full well the danger of the task that was ahead of them in reaching this tribe uh, f- with the gospel, wrote this in a journal. And it's kind of, our, kind of a, a good, good way to understand our text today. And this is what he wrote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I'm gonna say that again. It's kind of, kind of a tongue twister. I, I tried to write it from memory first and then I had to Google it just to make sure that I had it right and I did not have it right. And so it's a little bit of a, of a I wish I had it on the screen this morning, but I don't. This is what he says. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let me add a couple of words. He is no fool who gives up the things that he can't keep so that he may gain the things that he cannot lose. Um, You know know what he means by that, right? Um, Especially hearing his story, hearing his testimony, that Jim Elliott and his team gave up the things that they couldn't keep so that they could gain the things that they would never lose. And that's the, the treasures and the riches that, that Christ promises. And so in the end, this is exactly what these five men did. They left behind the things that didn't last in order to gain the thing that would last forever. Um, and so maybe it's easy to see that. Maybe you've heard the story of Jim Elliott. Um, and this is, this is something really easy to do that we'll acknowledge here. It's easy to see that and think that, well, that's the kind of behavior of a certain kind of breed of Christian, right? That's the, that's the behavior of a, of a kind of super Christian, right? Uh, is often what we think. And hey, ought we to revere people like this? Yes, ought we to respect um, and, and share their story? Absolutely. Um, but that is surely, that this story we think in our minds, that surely that's inspirational to us, but how unrelatable that really is, Right? Um, how unrelatable, how, how unattainable for us. And so maybe you look at this example and, and you think surely that's the behavior of a super saint. This is the kind of thing for which reward is reserved, right? Th- maybe, maybe this is the kind of thing that, that, that Christ promises reward for. And so what we're going to kind of seek to answer today is, is not, not just the story of Jim Elliott, which Jim Elliott would want us to see a bigger story here, and that is Christ, who is the center and the focus, um, but, but we want to see in today's text that this quote is true, that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Um, And so let's read this text again. We're not going to read all of it, but I want to read verses um, 19 through 21 together. Um, This is what it says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hey, Jesus is a, is a masterful teacher, to put it mildly. And I wanna show you something here in this text. Now, real quick, kind of a little bit of a side note that is important for us to understand because of how pervasive this thought might be in our world is that Jesus is much more than a teacher. Right, so he is a masterful teacher. We're going to hang our hats on that, but Jesus is so much more than a teacher. Jesus is is our Lord. Uh, Jesus is Lord. He is our Creator. Um, the, the Bible makes no holds no qualms um, about the fact that Jesus is the Creator of all things. Colossians one, Hebrews one, or a couple of places where you can refer to that. John chapter one. Um, So he's much more than just a teacher. And in fact, we cannot acknowledge him as anything less than Lord. Um, And so he teaches here. When he teaches, he is teaching as Lord. He is teaching as creator, sustainer, and sovereign. But nonetheless, he teaches, doesn't he? He does teach. We do understand uh, Jesus as rabbi, as teacher, as the one that we would sit under and learn from. And so he does this masterfully. In fact, what I want to show you in how he is teaching here is that verses 19 through 21 really serve as a transition from where he has been to where he's going. And so let's kind of zoom out a little bit. It's really easy to look at text and kind of see them in isolation, but let's just remember here that Jesus, even though my sermons are choppy and we took six weeks to preach what Jesus said in maybe a few seconds earlier— that we are limited and finite. Um, Jesus does something here, and he connects this thing to us. And so look at at 19 through 21, but I want to put your eyes on verse 1 of chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. And then Jesus goes on to give a couple of examples of what practicing righteousness in front of other people looks like. He talks about giving to the needy. He talks about, um, he talks about prayer. He talks about fasting. And, and then here, Jesus is kind of summarizing this, but he uses it. I mean, man, you want to talk about being a masterful teacher and communicator. This, this dude makes transitions smoother than butter, I mean, he just transitions this thing and you're like, you got whiplash. Where did, where did that come from? And so look what he does. He connects these verses to verse one and what follows. And he's, he's, what he's doing is he's connecting in verses 19 through 21, he's connecting man's approval to what we are tempted to treasure. And so when he, when he talks about, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, and we think that, okay, this is a new section, he's talking about material blessings, which, by the way, he does, that's what he transitions into, but he is saying that there are two things that seem to vie for our affection and our attention and our, and our energy, and that is the approval of man, and then he's going to enter into these verses that talk about the treasures, that, the material possessions that we have, and so this reward, I think, hey, I've I've talked to a lot of people about heavenly rewards. How are we to understand that? Well, we're not gonna get into all of that today, but let's just say, because the Bible says it, there are such thing as heavenly rewards. Do we know what those are? No. Do we tend to probably materialize those things more than we should? Yes, Uh, but but what I, let's just kind of simplify this as much as we can, in that reward in Scripture, in this context, is simply connected to our obedience to God. It's just connected to our obedience. Can I just tell you that we are people who believe and affirm at this church that salvation is through faith alone and the work of Christ alone, amen? That's it. But may I also say that Jesus demands, and we will not shy away from this, Jesus demands our obedience as followers of Christ. He demands that we obey him and we have a helper in obeying him, right? The Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And so let's just, let's just kind of take away all the complexity that, we, that may come to our minds when we think about reward and just say, listen, if we will obey Christ, there will be reward for us in heaven. There will be reward. We don't, again, we materialize that in all sorts of weird ways. I'm thinking like, okay, is that a closet full of Nikes? Like, is that a closet full of, you know, Air Jordans? Like, what, what is that? Probably not. Um, and and let, let's just also say this, is that the great reward of heaven is the presence of God. That's the great reward of heaven. Um, and so whatever that reward looks like, just know that the, that the treasure of heaven is Christ. So Jesus expects our obedience. And, and what he's doing here in verses 19 through 21, notice what he does He gives us a a negative and a positive. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart may be also. Jesus is not squelching our desires. Jesus is not saying the desires that you have within you are bad. What he is doing is he is redirecting our desires. He's saying, hey, that thing within you that desires something good and bigger than you and transcendent, I've got something for that. I've got something for that. And the things that you attempt to fill it with, I think on one side of the context is the approval of man, looking for applause and approval from man. You guys have received that before, right? You've received that approval from man. You've received those things. Do those things sustain you? No, and he's, he's going to say, no, these things will not sustain you. And so let's look at verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So we're up to this point. Christ has been exposing the heart our, our desire for the approval of man, Jesus brings in our eye. He starts talking about our, our eyes. Really, he says I singular. And, and so, so what he possibly may be referring to is the mind. And, and so it's not overly easy to understand really like the, the depth of what Jesus is saying here, but based, what he says, but based on what he says in the following verses, it could be said that what you fix your gaze on is the thing that guides you. The thing that you fix your eyes and fix your your gaze upon is the thing that guides you. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, that you are the light of the world. And so again, that's not an imperative. You hear what I'm saying? That's not a command, right? It's, it's, It's what's called an indicative. It's not imperative that you are to be the light. No, what Jesus says to those of us who have been saved by Christ is not, you, you ought to be the light. No, what he says is, if there be light in the world, you're it. You are the light. And so it's not a matter again of whether or not you are light in this world. It's a matter of how faithful of a light are you? How good of a light are you? Are you one of those tiny little bulbs that nobody knows how to fix at Christmas time? Or are you like a, a good old C9 bulb? Like which, which kind of bulb, dads, you know what I'm talking about, right? Which kind of bulb are you? It's not a matter of God commanding us to be light, but saying, no, you are the light. So are you faithful or are you unfaithful to what you, who you are? It's indicative, it's not imperative. And so it's interesting that what he says here in verse um, 23 that if the light in you is dark, how great is the darkness? He's speaking to disciples primarily here. If the light in you is not very bright, how great is the darkness that exists in you? And so what he's calling us here is to a level of faithfulness, to a level of obedience in him, to following him. And so if the light in you is dark, how great that darkness is, that it coexists with the light that Christ is in you that you're not obeying him. Are you confused yet? Some of your heads are spinning. Mine is too. And so if the thing that guides us leads us towards that which does not sustain us, how dark that light really is. And so what he's saying is, is the eye is the lamp of the body. The thing that we fix our eyes on, the thing that we fix our gaze on, it, that, that's, that's the thing that is our guiding light in our life. And so if we have our eyes fixed on anything but what Christ offers to us, and what Christ is to us, that we are lost in darkness. Maybe not lost as his child, but we are not people following the ways of Christ. And so verse 24, this is where we begin to see this transition. We see Jesus. So Jesus is like, like a Houdini. has transitioned um, just like right before our eyes. And so this is where we need to see that. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Um, Some translations say God and mammon. Um, And so Jesus shows his cards here and leads us into a new section of teaching on material possessions. Serve here, when Jesus says serve, no one can serve two masters. You see that in the context of that, and in the original language, literally means to be a slave of. You cannot be a slave of two masters. You will hate one, and you will love the other, or you will be devoted to one, and you will despise the other. And so, family, here's the thing, putting it provocatively. We are slaves to Christ, we are enslaved to him and he is a good master who is leading us in paths of righteousness, not for our demise or for anything else, but for our good and for his glory. And if, and if not, here's what Jesus is saying here, if you are not hitched to Christ and who he is, what Jesus is saying indicatively of that, that if you are not devoted to Christ, you are devoted to something. You're not neutral. There is no neutrality to your heart's affections. So this is is the case for lots and lots of things. We talk about all the time that the things that we take in media-wise, you are not passively taking those things in. Those things are shaping and forming you in ways that you may not even realize. And what Jesus is saying here is that you are either devoted fully to Christ or you are devoted fully to something else. There is no partiality in our devotion with Christ. If we were to say, well, I'm partially devoted to Christ, then what you are saying is that I am fully devoted to something else, is what Christ would, be say, would say here. And so here he references money or possessions, mammon. You cannot be a slave to Christ and a slave to money. But again, you are a slave to one of those things. Um, when, When he says hate, when he says you will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other, hate is not an active disdain. But always in the scriptures is used in a comparative sense. Look at Luke, you can look at Luke 14. You don't have to turn there, but in Luke 14, Jesus says something pretty confusing. And, and might I just say that it's even more confusing to those who don't follow Christ. I remember um, reading the passage, and I wish I could recall where it was, um, where, where the, the man comes to Christ and, and Jesus tells him to follow him. He says, but I've got to go bury my, bury my father, and Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. I remember hearing that the first time and being like, Jesus, you are so out of touch with reality. <laughs> like, the, the, just let the guy go bury his dad and then he'll, he'll come back. But what, what, what Jesus is saying here in hate is not an active disdain towards something, but in a comparative sense. So in Luke 14, again, Jesus says this thing that's, that's again, somewhat confusing to us. Um, somebody help me with, with a verse. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Luke 14, I forgot to write down the verse reference. Um, whoever does not, let's see, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, verse 26, hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We, we understand what Jesus is trying to lay out for us, right? Um, first of all, Jesus does not contradict scripture. Scripture does not contradict scripture and scriptures tell us to love one another. Jesus is not talking here about an active disdain, but in a comparative sense to following the Lord, what it looks like to abandon earthly things, yes, even relationships in order to follow and to serve Christ. Um, I can introduce you to people and you may could introduce me to people who are not, who are not in this culture um, who have made decisions to follow Christ and it has cost them profoundly in the manner of relationships, in the manner of social standing. And we hear those stories and, and can we just be really honest, church? Those things don't really relate well with us. I was having a conversation with a, with a friend from a, another country um, who who we were kind of talking about, hey, what are some of the things in your culture that make sense that the church does in this culture? And what are some of the things that don't make sense? And so, you know, he kind of gave me a list of things. He's like, yeah, you know, we, we, these things make sense. One of the things that doesn't make sense um, in in America is the fact that there's a church on every corner. Because the, the place where they're from, um, there's maybe a church every five or 600 miles. And the churches that, are there? Are not visible. They're underground. Uh, they, they, they can't be seen. You got t- You almost have to tell them that you're showing up. Um, and, and and one of the other things that, that that he said is that we we truly believe that we are we are followers of Christ because in our in our culture the the cost. In fact, in Luke 14, that's actually the context of what Jesus is talking about when he talks about hating our father and our brother, mother and brothers and sisters. He's talking about the cost of discipleship. And so this, this friend of mine understands this because, because what he says is that when we become followers of Christ, it has immediate actual implications on our life. Immediate. We lose social standing. We lose f- friendships. Friendships. And relationships that are valuable to us. And church, again, I say this is something that hardly relates to us in our culture because we can think of a host of things that seem to take priority over our relationship and our following of Christ, right? Can we, can we just say that? I know, it's, I know it's true for me. And so please, please, if you've been around long enough, you know this is not coming from a place of of self-righteousness, it's coming from a place of, hey, I'm in the I'm in the trenches with you, that I constantly have to fix my eyes on what is eternal and not what is temporal. So of course we, of course we would say I don't hate God, but one not need to hate in order to not serve Him, right? Um, in fact, some of the ways that we serve Him are actually hurdles to actually loving Him and following Him. Hey, we would, we would love to go to the food pantry on the weekends and pour a bowl of soup if it means that we can put salve on our consciences but not really love and follow Christ. Those things are good, right? But we, we, don't, we, don't, we, we don't have to say we hate God in order to not be serving and following him. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. And something really quick about money. Um, I was talking to somebody even this morning. It's funny because I had this in my... In my sermon, and somebody was saying, yeah, somebody that he was talking to recently um, was, was checking out churches, and the, the few weeks that he was there, they just talked all about money. Um, let me say something about money um, at the expense of maybe some of you being in the same place, and, and hopefully what I'm about to say will actually go against what you might assume um, that, that the church often does. But something really quick about money. The Bible gives more about where, our provision comes from rather than what we are to do with it. You know that? So if we teach and preach about money, the way to do it biblically um, is is to say up front that the Bible talks more about from where our provision comes rather than what you are to just do with it. We love like, hey, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Tell me who to give, tell me who to, who to serve, tell me who to support and I'll do it. But the, the Bible speaks more about knowing and understanding from where our provision comes. And if we can get that right, then a lot of other things will fall into place, amen? If we can get, it, if we can get our minds right about where our provision comes, let me just tell you, some of you people in here are super smart, super talented, super entrepreneurial, um, you are only that way because God made you that way. You are not that way because you're better than anybody else. You're not that way because you were born of some certain breed or anything else. You are only that way because God has allowed you and given you that way. Like the receptors in your mind that have to like line up together and get on the same page in order for you to make the decision that just struck your company a million bucks, God did that not you, and so we must remember from where our provision comes, from where our provision comes, and if we can, again, if we can get that right, if we can get on the right page about that, then we can get a lot of things right. Verses 25 through 34 shows us that Jesus is not only a masterful teacher, but Jesus is a good shepherd. Jesus is not just a masterful teacher. Jesus knows how to shepherd our hearts, Look what, he, look what he does here. Um, Therefore, I tell you, we're gonna read this section uh, all together right now. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? at how this section starts. How does it start? Therefore. Y'all know the funny joke. I'm not even gonna say it. Yes, I am. We gotta see what the therefore is therefore, okay? The therefore is therefore a reason because it's a it is a natural and necessary transition and implication of what Jesus has just said. Therefore is what he says. So therefore, Jesus knows precisely where our hearts and where our minds will go when considering the actual implications of this. Jesus is not making any qualms about the fact that this will be costly, right? So if, if you think that Jesus is all about our comfort or that Jesus is out of touch with reality or anything like that, no, Jesus is not any of those things, Jesus is very forthright and he's very honest and he knows precisely where our hearts and our minds will go when considering the implication of this. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is, man, he just like, he stops for a second. It's almost like he takes a break. He has just hit these people in this teaching with some heavy stuff. And what Jesus says is, hey, disciples, I know where your hearts are at. This This is gonna cause some anxiety in you. This is gonna cause you to ask, okay, from where does our help come? This Is going to cause you to, to maybe be worried about things, and so it's it's easy to to dismiss or diminish what Jesus says here. But a good principle to always remember in in this whole text. Maybe you think maybe you, maybe you hear what Jesus says here, and you're like, okay, Jesus, but like we have got to work, right? We got, I mean we got to. We've got. What do I do with my investments? Like, what do we do with these things? But just a good principle that we're going to stand pretty firmly on. We'll stand graciously on it and walk with those who may not be fully at this place. Just remember, like we're all people who are maturing and growing in Christ. No one here is matured in Christ. Finally, you know, finally and fully, we are maturing in Christ. Um, And so, just just know that what I'm about to say. Um, is something that you haven't quite come to terms with yet, it's okay. No judgment here. But what we will proclaim and what we will say is this, and it's a good principle to always remember, when something that Jesus says is hard to understand, the limitation always lies in us and not in him. Can I say it again? And can I get a bunch of amens? Here we go. I need a bunch of amens, not just for my own ego, but for, uh, make, to make sure we understand that when something that Jesus says is hard to understand, the limitation always, 100% of the time, lies in us and not in him. Amen. Amen. Always. So when we can't understand something, when we can't see something, when we read what we read here and we come up with all the whatabouts, the limitation is on us. It's not on him. He is a good king and a good shepherd. And so... It may be important to change our posture or to look at this from the right angle. And so, what Jesus obviously isn't forbidding here is work. Amen? Because Jesus doesn't contradict Scripture. Scripture doesn't contradict Scripture. Um, In fact, work is a biblical principle, and the ability to work is given to us by God and oftentimes is the means through which God provides, right? So, He says, I will provide. Work may be the means through which you do that. Maybe you read this verse and you're like, great, I can go sit on the couch and I can just make sure and I can just be assured that God's gonna provide all my needs. Well, remember, work is not a result of the fall. Work is not a result of the fall. Work was around, and I'm not talking about autumn here, I'm talking about sin in the garden. Work was a mandate given to Adam and Eve before sin entered the picture. Work is not a result of sin. The toil of work, we all know about the toil of work, right? Anybody in construction in here or ever been? Not me. Anybody been in plumbing? Plumber, yeah? Anybody worked with a uh, cantankerous boss, to put it mildly? Yeah? Yeah, the toil and the, the strife and the suffering of work is a result of the fall, but not work itself, um, and so Jesus is not forbidding work here. What is prohibited here, what Jesus prohibits is not work, but worry. What Jesus is commanding us to not do is not to work, but not to worry. And, 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 and read what it says, do not be anxious. In fact, Jesus says it, I think three times here, kind of reorients our minds around this truth. Do not be anxious. It's a command of Christ. And so we're like, well, what do I do with the anxiety that I have? Th- that's real, right? Anybody dealt with that? I have, I have. And so, are we are we being disobedient or unfaithful? Give it to Christ. Give it to Christ, and we can walk with you. And again, remember, we are we are maturing believers and not fully matured believers. Um, look at verse thirty-two. We'll we'll kind of wind this thing down, but look at verse thirty-two. I mean, first of all, just appreciate the, kind of the picture that Jesus paints um, from from really 26 to, uh, to to 31. I mean, just he 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 brings into the picture the birds and the flowers. He says, "Hey, look at look at them. Uh, they they seem insignificant, don't they? But God clothes them. He feeds them. Are you of not more importance than they?" Are you of not of more importance than they? He, he, Jesus connects this to Solomon, who most of the hearers would have resonated deeply with. What about Solomon? Yeah, that guy who had all that he could have ever wanted, who in the end, we think, as the writer of Ecclesiastes said, all is vanity. And, and, and Jesus says, even Solomon was not arrayed like one of these birds or these flowers, the things in life that seem insignificant. And then, verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And so, the great distinction here's the great distinction the great distinction between people with faith and without faith is that those with faith can call upon God as their heavenly Father. This is a theme that runs all throughout chapter six. I mean, this is, remember what we said, the foundation of our prayer. We we, we preach six weeks in the Lord's Prayer. And what is Jesus, what is the foundation that Jesus models this? Your father knows what you need before you ask him. In fact, um, the the, the example that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter six, verse seven, um, about how the Gentiles pray, is that when they pray, they heap up empty phrases. And and you wanna know why I think that is? It's because they have have no hope or no reason to believe that someone in heaven would care about their place. Um, And as I gave the example of our our friends who are Muslim, who many, there's many of them around here, I've seen them pray. I've seen how laborious it is for them. I've seen how really daunting and how how tired they are getting of it. And you know why? It's because they just kind of pray to this person, man, we're just throwing something at the wall and we just hope it sticks. But the foundation that Jesus gives for our fellowship with God is a fatherly relationship. And so that's what he says here. He says, listen, the Gentiles worry about these things. <laughs> the Gentiles worry, because... Who, who do they have to call upon who actually cares? Yet for you, you are in a totally different place. You have a heavenly father who knows what you need. And then really the, the, the apex of this section um, in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And so positively Jesus is telling us, so what do you do instead? Hey, you seek the kingdom of God. And what does what is the kingdom of God? That's a whole sermon series in and of itself, but it's essentially just the rule and the reign of God. That we would submit ourselves to his rule and his reign in our lives. And let me just tell you what that very likely means for some of us. Is that there are things in our lives that we need to abandon. I mean, full-on get rid of, and not just, listen, we aren't just people who just sit back and let, you know, things happen. We are people who say, listen, Jesus says here, it's a command, by the way. This is not an unrelatable suggestion. It is an authoritative command of Christ to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then verse 34, it's almost like, Jesus came up to this climax and then Jesus says something really hard. Can we just, we'll address that. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so we're feeling pretty good, right? Man, God's gonna provide all that he does. And then Jesus is like, today's gonna be hard. <laughs> today's gonna be real hard, y'all. You're gonna, you, you, you might have to figure out how you're gonna pay that bill today. You might need to need to figure out, you, you, you may be unsure of where your next meal comes from some days. But Jesus already told us, He's given us the, the clear command, "Don't be anxious, because He will provide." And, and what, is, what is that provision? Ultimately. Will God provide our daily needs? Yes. Um, I, I know people in this room who, who do well financially, and people in this room who I have conversations with a lot who are really struggling and in both cases I can ask both of them and the same answer will come but has God always met your needs and you would say yes I mean that is that is 100 just from where I'm standing from what I'm aware of 100% the testimony in this room God has always provided He's always provided He will do what he's promised but but Jesus is is pointing us and the Bible points us to even a greater provision. In fact, turn with me to Romans chapter eight. My mind goes to Romans chapter eight um, in, in, in this a lot. And we, and we see here what the ultimate provision of God is in our lives. Would y'all be okay if we stopped and prayed now? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what you have left to show us in your word. We're not done yet, but uh, Lord, we, we just pray that today we would um, live not in a place of anxiety um, or fear, but in trust uh, for, your, for your care and provision in our lives. Lord, there is a, a variety of, and a host in a reality of concerns in this room, Um, you are deeply aware of every one of them uh, because, not only because you are sovereign and omniscient, but also because you are our Father and we are your children. And a good, loving Father knows Keenly the needs of his children, and so we just pray that we would experience that today, that you would help us today in your name, Amen. So, verse thirty-four, um, Jesus acknowledges the reality of hardships, but in Romans eight, chapter twenty, let's see, eight, chapter eight. Um, you know me; if I'm reading one verse, I could just easily read the whole chapter, but we're not going to do that. Um, we're gonna we're gonna read. Verse 31 uh, to 39, what then shall we say to these things? That's why we could read the whole chapter because there's some things that he says before this that are important. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us Who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress Man, what a proclamation! Right? Let me just let me say this: that in no way contradicts anything that Jesus just taught. You may die. We need to be keenly aware of that. You, sorry, you will die. Not may you will. I, I'm pretty. Last time I checked, about hundred percent death rate. Um, you will die. Um, you will get sick your body will break down. Your job won't last. Um, your financial security, your investments, your stocks will go away. If not now, in the next life. And if not now, maybe in the next generation, who, who you're saving up for. But what the scriptures tells us is that none of those things can separate from the love of Christ because to live is Christ to die is gain. That's, that's where we experience that, that gain. And so, hey, in the, in the presence of all the anxieties, we don't, we, we want to be so sensitive, but we also want to be, we also want to point you to who Christ is. We want to say, like, he's, he's worth casting all of those anxieties on, and he's worth all of that. And and he commands that too. Um, and so while if, while if you and I are in a conversation about your anxiety, it's probably gonna be a long conversation about, hey, tell me about what's going on and let, let me shepherd you in this phase and I'll do a lot of listening. Right now I get a chance to just say something and that is to, no, no apologies needed here to place your trust in Christ today. To put, to put it on him. And I'm not saying like that that will rid you of all of your issues, it won't. But Jesus is a good king and a good shepherd and he can, he can handle those things and he will provide for you. Um, there is so much more that I could say. There's much more that I've got written, but we need to wind down, let's pray. Father, thank you for um, not just because of what we see in this text but because of, of who you reveal yourself to be from cover to cover, um, from generation to generation, from century to century and whatever measure of, of time that we could possibly think of, um, that you are a God who provides. Um, that whether it is, that, that there is no difference between an Old and New Testament God. We just say that now. There's no the Old and New Testament God are not different because the Old Testament God shows us as early as Exodus that when, that when the people of God cry out to, to him, he hears us and he knows and he sees and he provides. And that is the same God that each of us in this room today have experienced. You are an unchanging God um, who, who shows mercy but who also will not overlook sin. And so, Lord, we thank you that for those who are in Christ, you have not overlooked sin, but our sin has been placed on him. Um, and so, Lord, if there's someone here in this room today that doesn't know Christ, uh, that you would draw them. And, and so, Lord, we just even even pray now that you would bring boldness and courage and clarity to our hearts. Lord, we, even, even those who are followers of you as maturing Christians— um, need help in these areas. We need help from you. Lord, we know that another means through which you have chosen to meet these needs is through one another. Lord, we need each other. And so help us to be there. Help us not be, Help us as the people of God not be shocked by the stories of others, but to, but to be a place of, of grace, a place that we would point others to who you are. Um, Thank you for your provision for us each day, um, and most importantly, the provision that we have in Christ through his righteousness. And uh, Lord, we declare that now as we come to the table. Um, We proclaim the reality that you are a provider. We pray these things in your name. Amen.